Praise the Lord, Greater Life Church. It is indeed a privilege to come to you tonight and uh, take a moment to go into the word of the Lord. So grateful for the blessings of God. And I pray that you are living in the peace and uh, the grace of the Lord today. I certainly miss you. This sanctuary is not the same when you're not here. And I, I hope that you feel that ache as much as I do. I certainly long to see you again. And uh, I believe that that's going to be uh, very soon. At least that is my prayer. Uh, you never know how much something means to you until it's taken away. And I've heard several people say over the last few days just how much they have missed being with their church family. And that, uh, even though it is sad, it very much warms my heart that we know where our strength is found and it is in the family of God. I'm so grateful that God has brought us together. And even though this is a season that none of us like and we would like for it to all be over, uh, it is our present reality. I have had many suggestions as to what we should do or could do. And if I did all of them, uh, I wouldn't have enough time in the day to even breathe. But we're doing what we can to stay commu uh, in communication. And certainly we want to uh, do what we can to keep you connected to our church family. I have always tried to be mindful that my faith in God should never jeopardize somebody else's life. And I may feel strongly and boldly, but I don't want to do anything that would jeopardize your health or your life. And that's what I try to weigh in my consideration. I pray that God will help all of us have wisdom to know what to do. We are certainly needing his hand upon us. I, I want you to go with me to the Word of God for just a few moments tonight, and I would never do this except I feel very strongly prompted of the Lord. I felt it earlier today, and I kind of moved away from it because I already had something else in mind that I thought I wanted to share with you. But uh, as the day has progressed and we've gotten closer to service time, um, I, I'm, I'm just going to step out. And probably some people would consider this uh, suicide. I have no notes, just my Bible. But go with me to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 50. And uh, it's the conclusion of the story of Joseph and his life. And how all of it had worked out. How all of the ups and downs had uh, come finally together. And now you can see the picture uh, and you can see the outcome. And I want to begin reading with verse number 16. And uh, it reads like this. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph saying, Thy father did command before he died saying, So shall you say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespasses of thy brethren. This is... Their dying father's last request to Joseph concerning his brothers that had done him so wrong. I pray that you will forgive them. 
and their sin, for they did unto the evil. He recognized that what had happened was not right. He called it what it was. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And when Joseph heard these words, the scripture says he wept when they spake unto him. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face. And they said, now his own brothers come. And they are broken because they understand how vulnerable the situation is. And their life literally hangs in the balance because they are looking at one of the most powerful men in Egypt. The one who has their life in his hands. And they are very humble and they wept and they spake unto him. And uh, they, they, they said, uh, you know, behold... We are your servants. They humble themselves. And when Joseph heard that, he said unto them some of the most powerful and needed words in that moment. Fear not. For am I in the place of God? Or in other words, am I to be God? No, I will not step into that place of judgment. You know, it would do all of us good if we could take that approach to life when it would be so easy for us to come down on someone and really hammer them because of some injustice they had done for us. Remember that we are not God and we don't ever need to act like we are God. And so he he said, I am I, not God. And Joseph was so... Stirred, but as for you, he said, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day. The reason we are where we are at this moment is because of God's plan. And because of God's plan, You're not going to suffer in these years of famine because God put me here to save much people alive. Now, therefore, fear you not. I will nourish you and your little ones and be comforted. And and he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. And I know that you've heard this this particular passage of scripture, but I want to take you back up to what Joseph said concerning his brethren. Verse 20, he said, but as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it. What is that it that he is talking about? It is the identical word that is used previously for their thought. God said, or or Joseph said, you thought evil toward me, but God meant it, meant that thought for good. I want to ask you a question tonight, and it's going to be the title of my, my message tonight or my talk. To you, who 
is your tailor. Who is your tailor? Hang along and go with me. Hang on and go along with me, I should say. The story of Joseph is one of the most powerful stories in the Bible. He is, in, in one sense, a type of Christ. But if you study the life of Joseph, you will find so many powerful principles that will do good for your present life, that it would do well for you to study him and, and mimic him. Joseph was a favored son of his father, Jacob. And because of that favored status, he uh, was given a coat of many colors. And you know the story. His brethren hated him, not only because of what would come to pass, but for that place that he had found in his father's heart. Uh, he, He was a young man that had the favor of his father upon him. And he dreamed a dream. And being a young man, as so many times is the case, uh, young people are not always careful what they share. And so he shared his dream with his brothers, and all that did was make them hate him even more. And it came to a pitch, and finally they decided that they were going to do away with him. And you know how all of that transpired. He was finally sold. And when you follow Joseph's life as it went through uh, the, the pilgrimage into Egypt and Potiphar's house and then the prison, at every juncture in his life, you find him being confronted by various temptations that had followed him even from his own home. His brother's hatred or his brother's feelings toward him. And now he's in Potiphar's house and he's doing the best that he can and Potiphar's wife begins to uh, have feelings toward him and she began to eye him as a desirable commodity and And she began to make a play for him. And here Joseph is a long way from home. There's no support system. There's nobody there to see what he's doing. And yet in that moment, he refused to be taken in. And he ran. He left his garment when she laid hold of him. And he ran for his life. Out of that came an imprisonment. That would be long and torturous. I don't know how long that he was there, but you wouldn't have to put me very long in a prison for it to be enough. I feel like I've been in one for the last month. And uh, I will tell you right now, it has been long enough. But it was months and even years. And uh Joseph had to deal with the ups and downs. When you look at his life and how he dealt with the adversities and and then how he responded to all of this, that when God finally brought him to a place where he was blessed and he was now with wife and the wife had children, he he named his children prophetically. He he, he shows something of a character that is almost uh, uh, unimaginable. But he named his children 
Uh, Ephraim and Manasseh, and both of them, Manasseh means he causes me to forget. And uh, Ephraim means a double portion. So here's a young man that has been hated by his brothers only because he had a dream and they misunderstood his dream. And you know what? I, I, I have a strong feeling that Joseph himself didn't fully understand the, the, the whole uh, panorama of his dream. And I don't think Joseph could have ever imagined what he was going to have to live through to get to the fulfillment of that dream. And sometimes in life, we have to go through things that are so difficult for us to understand that they cause us to lose sight of whatever it was that God promised us. And I feel like I need to tell some people tonight, some church family, that God has given you some promises. And this present situation that we're living in may seem to dull your vision for a moment, but I'm here to tell you tonight, founded upon the Word of God, that God is a God who keeps His promises. And if God gave you a promise, it is going to come to pass, you may have to live through some unexpected things to see it come to pass, but if you hang on to your dream, God will fulfill his promises. Amen. God will always keep his word. Little did Joseph realize the hell that he would have to live through in order to see his dream come to pass. It was really a nightmare. Anybody could have Uh, told him that this is what it was going to take to get him to the place that God had promised he was going to take him, Uh, I would dare say he would have said, no, that's not possible, that God could take that and turn it into this. But we know the outcome. We've read the end of the story, and we know that that's exactly what God did. Somewhere along the way, I don't know where it happened. I don't know when it happened. But somewhere in Joseph's life, he began to see a pattern. When God gave a promise, there was always a test to challenge that promise. When God gave him an advantage or put him in a place of opportunity, there was always an opposition. But if he did not let go of his dream, if he didn't let go of the promises that God had given him, that when the the time would come, when, when he would see that thing come to pass, and he watched the hand of God as God orchestrated his movements from the pit where his brothers put him, intending to come back to kill him. And one of the brothers couldn't do it, and he couldn't stand for it, so he took him out, and he sold him to the caravan, and the brethren were able to move on with their life, and then into Potiphar's house, and then into prison, and all of the ups and downs, and All of the vicissitudes that life could throw against him. And yet he watched something. The hand of God. Every time he turned around he could see that there was a glimpse of glory. And a shadowing of the almighty in his life. And when he finally comes out. And now the fulfillment of all of these promises are coming to pass. His brethren 
come because they have heard that the only place where there's food is in Egypt. And uh, so they come to find substance for their family. And it was there that Joseph and his brethren were brought back together. And you know the story of how he, he concealed himself and for a season of time put them through a test. And they did everything they could. And finally, it comes to this moment of revelation. And he reveals himself. He can stand it no longer. He weeps. He goes behind closed doors and he weeps because of what he knows that they can't see. They're afraid for their life. They are terrorized that they're, they're going to die and, and their father is going to have heartbreak upon heartbreak and fearful that this would be what would put him under. And they knew it, that they were responsible for it. And Joseph or, or, or Jacob thinking all of this time that Joseph is dead. And the reality was that Joseph had just been sent ahead to prepare a place for him to come to. And then they come to that moment and they're all reunited. And and then, then uh, there is this, uh, the feelings that begin to uh, evolve. And Joseph Uh, makes a statement to his brethren one of the last times that he sent them home. He said, make sure that you don't fall out in the way. And what he meant by that is that on the way home, don't get in an argument about whose fault it is. I understand something more than fault is in play. There is a plan not a fault in play. So don't fall out on the way home. Don't get into an argument pointing fingers and blaming somebody because of our present circumstances. And again, you see the character of Joseph revealed. And now he is, Joseph has come, or Jacob has come, and all of the family is reunited. And now Jacob is coming to the end of his life. He gathers his sons together and he speaks words of prophecy and promise and uh, over them concerning who they were and their life. And then he passes from this life. And now the moment of reality sinks in. They felt like the brethren that the only buffer they had there really was Jacob. Because Joseph loved his father so dearly. And now that he's gone, they're, they're terrified that they now are going to see the wrath of their brother. And so they come in before him. And it's the passage that we picked up. And they come in humbly. And they come in with a reminder. Just want to tell you dad's last prayer. His last, remind you of what dad prayed. He prayed that you would forgive us for what we've done. And Joseph is so overwhelmed by what he hears from them that he weeps and uh, he, he, he cannot control his emotions. And then he makes this powerful statement, verse number 20. But as for you, you thought evil against me. The word thought in the Greek comes from a term that is used in the marketplace. It was actually a Milner's term. It was a word that was used in reference to weaving of garments and clothing and how that 
uh, they would take the different threads and they, through the shuttle, would, would bring them together in a, 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 play, a thing of beauty, a patchwork of, of, of colors that were mingled. And, and he said, you took a thread and you meant to weave an evil thing for my life. But God has taken that same thread and he has woven a different garment for me. And when I was thinking about that today, early this morning, the Lord seemed to speak to me and say to me in my spirit, life is going to weave you a garment. You don't have a choice. You don't get to pick or choose whether that happens. You don't get to pick or choose the circumstances that happen in your life. You don't get to pick or choose whether they're good or bad. What you are left with is the living of that moment. But you have, you, you, you do have a choice. Who's going to be your tailor? Who is going to weave that garment that you're going to wear? Is it going to be the anger or the bitterness or the hatred or all of the other emotion that are so prevalent in life at times when bad things happen to us and the bitterness comes so easily and the resentment comes so easily? Is it going to be the the jealousy or uh, whatever other emotion you want to put in there or the unfairness that life uh, is and, and, and the fact that, that it's just not right. Here I am trying to do the best I can and I'm struggling worse than I've ever struggled. I'm battling things that I never thought I'd have to battle. And life is weaving you a garment. It is weaving a garment that you're going to have to wear. And the point that I want to bring to you tonight is who is going to be your weaver? Who is going to be your tailor? If you will let life, life will weave you a garment that will be ugly. It will be resentful. It will be bitter. It will be full of hatred. It will be full of, of every other human emotion that I could think of or you could think of. If we're not careful, we will let life weave a garment for us of its unfairness. There's nothing right about this. What's so justifying in this? What is so, uh, so right about what's going on in my life right now? There's nothing right about it. There's nothing right about it. But there's another one that's working and he's weaving if you'll let him. And he can weave a garment of purpose. He can help you understand that all things work together for the good to them who are the call according to his purpose. That if you will allow God, God can take the very things that life intended to embitter you. And turn them into a garment that makes you a better person, a better man, a better woman, a better worker, a a better person. That if you will let God, God can take the very same adversities, the very same emotion, the very same feelings. And he can turn 
that into a garment of praise. He can turn it into something that you can rejoice over. And you can see the hand of God and the purpose of God. And know that all things, all things, all things, all things work together for the good. To them who are the call according to his purpose. Who is going to be your tailor today? Who's going to weave that garment that you're going to wear through the day tomorrow? Are you going to let the present circumstances that are filled with hopelessness and fear and, and, and worry? I've never seen a world that's more in a panic than our world is right now. I've never seen people more affected by fear than I see in this present moment. And we're allowing life, the present situation, this present uh, circumstance that we find ourselves in. If we're not careful, we will let life take that thread and weave it into a, 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 a garment, a cloak of moroseness and fear and doubt and worry and anxiety and distress and discouragement. Or we can let God take that very same thread and weave it into a garment of purpose. Realizing that God has brought us to the kingdom for such a time as this. That we are not here by accident. That this situation we're in has not caught God by surprise. It's not a time for me to be bitter. It's not a time for me to be discouraged. It's not a time for me to be down and out. It's not a time for me to be sad and morose. It's not a time for me to be putting stuff on Facebook about how bad things are. I need to be talking about the goodness of the Lord and the grace of God and the keeping power of the Almighty. I need to get my eyes on the one that can take care of me and see me through this ordeal to the very end so that when I stand at the end and I look back I can see that God's hand was with me the whole route the whole journey amen Paul talked in Romans 8 and that was really what I had intended to go to tonight but I'll do that another time and I don't want to ruin a good message but Romans 8 he talks about what or who can separate us. I was thinking of that verse early and, and it typically what we read in when we're reading that is what can separate us, but he doesn't say what can separate us. He said, who can separate us? And the spirit spoke to me and said, behind every what, behind every question that you have, there is a who. Behind every what, there is a who. There is a force of some kind. That's working, good or evil. And Romans 8, Paul is contrasting the difference between the spirit-led life and the life that is led by the flesh, the carnal life. He talks about the different philosophy of life, of being led and free and enjoying the blessings of the God, or being condemned and downcast and hopeless. And then he brings it to a conclusion by, by talking about all of these things. And he numbers several things. Who can separate us? And he, he goes through this list of things. And I don't have time to go into them in detail. But he gets to a point And he talks about things present. Things present. Things to come. 
And I thought, you know, one of the things that makes present things so powerfully difficult to deal with and live through is because oftentimes present things obscure my vision of the bigger picture. I become so absorbed in what's happening right now that I cannot see the bigger picture. And present things have a power of blocking our vision and our sight of him. I know that you're aware of this, but you can take a dime, one of the smallest coins there is in the earth, and you can put it close enough to your eye that you can block out the entire sun that is hundreds of thousands of times larger. It just depends on its proximity to your eye. And if we're not careful, we can become so absorbed in present things, what's going on around us right now, that we lose sight that there is a bigger picture that's being painted. And there's a bigger purpose that is unfolding. This isn't, and I've said this before and I want to say it again, this isn't about a coronavirus. I know that's what has everybody's attention. But this is about the fulfillment and the wrapping up of God's divine purpose that has been working since the beginning of time. And it's coming to a fulfillment and this moment in which we live. And I must not allow present things to blind me to the fact that God is for me. God is with me. He died for me. He justified me. He keeps me. He loves me. He will never forsake me. He will never leave me alone. No matter what I have to go through. So don't let the present circumstances blind you to the fact that God's had his hand on your life. And he still does. And that hand, if you will allow it, can take the very things that the world views as the worst things that could ever happen. And God can weave them into a garment of purpose for his glory. To me, that would be my desire. God, let this moment that we're living in not be wasted. Don't let us waste our sorrows. Don't let us waste these frustrations that were. Let them work for our good. Let them bring out of us a deeper character. You know, one of the things that this has forced us to do, it has forced us to bring the altar back into our home where it should have been all the time. You see, a lot of people have replaced the home altar with the church altar, and they think as long as they come to the church altar, that's all right. Now we have I've been pushed back to a place where if we don't have a home altar, we don't have an altar at all. And so I'm encouraging you not be ashamed of your home altar. I know we don't like it. We like being together. But make an altar at your home. 
Make a time for prayer in your home. Make a time for reading of the word in your home. Somebody's going to have to make up in their mind that no matter what happens, I'm going to live for God. I'm going to serve him. I'm going to be faithful to him. And I'm going to let him be the tailor of my life. I'm going to let him be the one that puts the garment on me because I know that what he puts on me will be a thing of beauty and it will be a thing desirable and I will will not have to be ashamed of it I can lift my head and give him glory that he has taken that evil and he has worked it he has weaved it for my good amen let God do the same for you our our present moment this present circumstance fear not fear not for God said I will nourish you I will nourish you. I'm going to take care of you. Let that comfort you tonight. That God's hand is with you. Even in these moments uh, that are so different. God is here with us right now. Amen. I pray that somehow the word of God has ministered to you tonight. And I pray that you will allow him to be the great tailor of your life. And to... Clothe you with the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Amen. This coming weekend is Easter weekend. And I know that we're going to have to do service different than we've ever had to do it before. But we're going to celebrate the resurrection in our home with our families. And we're going to do it because we celebrate the resurrection, not a service. We celebrate the fact that he is risen and we're going to do it together. And I believe God is going to be with us and he's going to bless us. Don't miss out. Make sure you get tuned in with your family. We love you and we pray for you tonight. God bless you. Have a great evening.